Hello, knowledge seekers. In this episode of 20 Minute Books, we delve into Forget the Alamo, a book that unravels the tightly woven fabric of Texas mythology to reveal the complex realities behind the battle that has long been glorified in American lore. With a critical eye, authors Brian Burrow, Chris Tomlinson, and Jason Stanford dissect the popular narrative of the 1836 Alamo siege, challenging the noble tale that has become synonymous with American heroism and Texas independence. Through meticulous historical research, Forget the Alamo lays bare the less virtuous aspects of the story that have been overshadowed by the shiny veneer of cultural legend. This book not only serves as a historical corrective, but also as a mirror reflecting the role of the Alamo in contemporary cultural and political discourse. Brian Burrow brings his experience as an award-winning reporter and acclaimed author of works like The Big Rich and Barbarians at the Gate to the table. Chris Tomlinson, with his background as a war correspondent and columnist, contributes a seasoned perspective from years of covering conflict and penning books like Tomlinson Hill. Jason Stanford, known for his insightful political analysis and journalistic contributions, rounds out this trio of authors, ensuring that Forget the Alamo is as thought-provoking as it is informative. This episode is perfect for history buffs, Wild West enthusiasts, and anyone who has ever been captivated by the legend of the Alamo. So if you're ready to challenge what you think you know about this iconic piece of American history, stay tuned for a summary that promises to be as enlightening as it is engaging. Forget the Alamo, the rise and fall of an American myth. Introduction. Discover the real story behind the Alamo's legends. The Alamo. It's a name that conjures up images of heroic sacrifice and the indomitable spirit of Texas. But how much of what we know about the Alamo is rooted in fact, and how much is woven from the threads of myth and misconception? It's time to peel away the layers of legend and look at the Alamo with fresh eyes. What if everything you learned about the Alamo was a narrative constructed to pander to our fondness for underdog stories and freedom fighting? What if the siege at the Alamo wasn't so much about liberty and justice as it was about land and money, particularly cotton wealth? The truth is, the battle that took place at the Alamo bears little resemblance to the embellished tales Hollywood has fed us. You're about to find out that the fight for Texas independence had more to do with cotton than courage. Why Jim Bowie, the Alamo's renowned hero, might not be worthy of praise, and the surprising connection between British rock star Phil Collins and the future of the Alamo's legacy. Part 1 Unraveling the True Motivations Behind the Battle of the Alamo. Think you know the tale of the Alamo? It's a story passed down through generations, enshrined in classrooms and cinema as a saga of gallantry but the heroics taught in Texas schools, reinforced by law to cast the defenders in a valiant light, might be obscuring a more complex and less flattering truth. The real roots of the Alamo's strife lie not in the fight for justice, but in the pursuit of agricultural prosperity and the dark reality of slavery. The key insight here is, the conflict at the Alamo can be traced back to cotton and slavery. 
the famed battle for Texas's liberty might have been fueled less by a struggle for freedom and more by economic ambitions tied to the agricultural cash cow of the time, cotton. This was the era post Ely Whitney's cotton gin invention, where the American South's cotton industry saw unprecedented growth. Cotton fields stretched across the lands, but behind the prosperity was the grim dependence on the institution of slavery. Slavery was so integral to the economy that from the year 1800 to 1860, the population of enslaved individuals skyrocketed from about 900,000 to a sprawling 4 million. Eyes turned to Texas for its fertile, inexpensive lands. Though under Mexican rule at the time, the Spanish leadership, which initially governed Mexico, did not contest the presence of slavery, a practice also adopted by some of the Tejanos, Texas's Mexican population. For a period, this desire for new territories to sustain the burgeoning cotton industry caused an influx of settlers, setting the stage for inevitable conflict. Part 2 how Mexico's quest for liberation reshaped Texas's destiny. In the early 19th century, a unique chapter in Texas history unfolded as foreign settlers began to influence the region's future. Under Spanish rule, Anglo colonizers were welcomed to help fend off Native American tribes. Meanwhile, U.S. leaders eyed Texas, dreaming of expanding American territory. But the narrative took a turn when Mexico called for allies to fight for its freedom from Spain. The response? A motley crew of adventurers, including smugglers and mercenaries, ventured into the fray, eager to be part of the upheaval. The key point to understand is, Mexican independence changed the rules for Anglo settlers. By the time 1813 rolled around, Mexico's bid for freedom was well underway, with military engagements such as the Battle of Medina, demonstrating the brutal conflict, a prelude to the region's bloody future. When Mexico finally shed its colonial shackles in 1821, the Anglos in Texas were caught off guard by an unexpected tenet of the new government, the denunciation of slavery, pivotal for a nascent country built on egalitarian ideals. For settlers who had cast their lot with the cotton boom, predicated on the exploitation of enslaved people, this spelled crisis. The very foundation of their economic ambitions was under threat. Enter Stephen F. Austin, a prominent figure who would become known as the father of Texas. He championed the settlers' causes, traveling tirelessly to Mexico City to negotiate concessions. Although Mexico held firm on abolition, compromises were made, perhaps out of pragmatism due to the sheer geographical divide between Texas and the seat of Mexican power. The abolitionist stance, however, loomed over the Texians. They feared for their cotton-driven profits and worried that without the lure of slavery, settlers and their vital labor force would look elsewhere to make their fortunes. As tensions simmered, the stage was set for an inevitable standoff with more than just land at stake the very essence of their economic existence was on the line. Part 3. Behind the Alamo's Walls. Not all heroes were heroic. The promise of Texas called to many, the chance for reinvention, a fresh start on an unsettled frontier. It attracted not only the earnest families seeking opportunity, but also attracted the darker elements. 
men with checkered pastes, seeing Texas as the ultimate escape from their misdeeds. This beckoning of the desperate and dodgy birthed stories that would entangle with Texas's history. Among them, the tales of infamous characters like Pierre and Jean Lafitte. These brothers found their haven on Galveston Island, where they thrived on the black market, trading in stolen goods and shockingly selling human beings into slavery with a price tag that matched the weight of cotton. The key takeaway here is, some of the Alamo rebels weren't so morally upstanding. The lore of the Alamo paints a picture of selfless men standing against tyranny, but a closer look may reveal a far murkier portrait. Despite Mexico's efforts at compromise on slavery, a source of contention, many settlers continued to benefit from the government's concessions, keeping their enslaved people without reprisal. Within the Alamo's walls stood not only patriots, but also men whose paths were anything but heroic. Jim Bowie's name may evoke awe, but the man himself was rife with vices, from brawling to illegal slaving, his reputation marred by fraudulent land deals forcing him to seek refuge in Texas. Davy Crockett's fame came less from nobility than from wild stories of frontier life that couldn't save him from political failure. His subsequent declaration after a bitter election loss, they may all go to hell and I will go to Texas, was less a battle cry than a surrender to the end of the road. William Travis's journey to Texas came not out of valiant motives, but as a desperate escape from accumulating debt and the threat of arrest. Texas was his sanctuary, not his cause. These men, often hailed as paragons, were far from it. They were flawed, cornered, and without alternatives. The Alamo was their last refuge in a land of last chances. Part 4. The Path to the Alamo. A Slow March Towards an Inevitable Clash. In the early 1830s, the fabric of Texas society was fraying under the strain of its contentious relationship with Mexico and its own internal pressures to expand slavery, a point on which Mexico staunchly disagreed. Stephen F. Austin, a leading figure in Texas, declared quite starkly that the region's prosperity was dependent on it remaining a slave society, a position that foreshadowed the turbulence ahead. As whispers of rebellion rustled through both Texian and Tejano communities, the faint drumbeat of war began to grow louder, culminating in the notorious stand at the Alamo. Yet, the conflict might have been avoidable. The key revelation here is, between 1832 and 1835, Texians and Mexico inched closer to war. Despite early scuffles like the 1832 confrontation at Fort Velasco, diplomacy between the Texians and Mexico had not yet reached a breaking point. Even after Texians were detained by Mexican forces, negotiations continued, and concessions, like relaxing American immigration into Mexico, were granted. But an intercepted letter in January 1834 sparked a crisis. Austin had written about drafting a Texas constitution, which Mexican authorities saw as seditious. His imprisonment for nearly a year marked a shift in the tenuous peace. A group of agitators known as the War Dogs, counting Jim Bowie and William Travis among their ranks, were clamoring for revolution, but they represented a vocal minority. Most Texians were more moderate. The excessive noise made by the War Dogs, however, drew a greater military presence from Mexico, setting off alarm bells among settlers and prompting cries of invasion. 
even when order, not oppression, was Mexico's intent. Enter Santa Ana, Mexico's president who initially aligned with federalist ideals favorable to the Texians. But as time went on, his stance hardened, and he began to view the restless Texians as ungrateful and lawless settlers who defied his authority. This brewing dissent and escalation set the scene for a confrontation. With the Texians painted as obstinate rebels and Santa Ana perceived as an increasingly tyrannical figure, the chasm between the two sides widened, with each step they took leading them inexorably toward the fateful encounter at the Alamo. Part 5. The Besieged Alamo, a fortress of defiance against overwhelming odds. As the year 1835 came to a close, tensions in Texas reached a boiling point. Santa Ana's scrapping of federalism in favor of centralism felt like the final straw for the Texians, as well as for many disgruntled Tejinos. That summer, a clumsy skirmish led by William Travis escalated into a situation far graver than anticipated. Following Travis's attack on Mexican troops, General Martin Perfecto de Cos was dispatched to arrest him, a lawful act inflaming the Texian narrative of Mexican aggression. To many Texians, it was the undeniable signal of the invasion they feared, even though Cos sought nothing more than to enforce justice. The key point to note is, the end of 1835 left a ragtag group of militiamen in a vulnerable position at the Alamo. The legend of the Texians' resistance is encapsulated in an iconic skirmish over a cannon in Gonzales. Mexican troops faced off with defiant Texians, who famously countered with a flag emblazoned with come and take it. The phrase, emblematic of Texian tenacity, is a touchstone in Texas pride to this day. Mexican troops, puzzled by the Texians' belligerence, withdrew to defend San Antonio, only to find themselves besieged by the militant settlers. In the face of unrelenting pressure, General Cos and his troops abandoned their garrison at the Alamo and consented to leave Texas altogether. However, the Texian celebration was premature. As some militiamen departed, weary of conflict and the onset of winter, a small patchwork force of Texian and Tejano soldiers was left to hold an indefensible position. The Alamo, an aged Spanish mission compound with low walls, was no fortress. It stood exposed, a testament to vulnerability rather than strength. Though the Mexican army retreated from the Alamo, recognizing its untenable position, Santa Ana's resolve hadn't wavered. He had no intention of ceding Texas, leaving the remaining defenders in a precarious situation, one that history would remark on. It was the calm before the storm at the Alamo. Part 6. The Alamo. A tragic end to a futile stand. The Alamo. A name synonymous with brave last stands. But what really transpired on that fateful battleground wasn't just shrouded in valor. It was a preventable catastrophe. While the notion persists that with all defenders having perished, the true events of the Alamo are lost, in reality, we have a clearer understanding today. Testimonies from Mexican soldiers and the few survivors paint a vivid, albeit grim, picture. The key realization is, the Battle of the Alamo was a military disaster that could have been avoided. 
Despite dwindling militia numbers, fresh but inexperienced faces trickled in during January and February of 1836. Among them were icons like the legendary frontiersman Davy Crockett and the notorious Jim Bowie. Leadership fell to the young William B. Travis, chosen to command the Alamo at the meager age of 26. Before the battle could even begin, Bowie succumbed to illness, rendered incapacitated, likely from a mix of excessive drinking and disease. The ensuing siege commenced on February 23rd with the Mexican army's approach previously signaled by Tejano scouts. Travis's urgent pleas for reinforcements spilled out in letters, but his cries went unanswered. With Travis commanding roughly 150 men, the Alamo's prospects looked dim. What drove their decision to hold fast remains conjecture. Perhaps it was hope, pride, or obstinacy that anchored them to the doomed Alamo. Travis's requests for aid did circulate in newspapers. Yet the anticipated support never arrived. Sam Houston, leading the Texas Army, met Travis's desperate appeals with skepticism. A glimmer of hope flickered when Colonel James Fannin dispatched over 300 men to aid the besieged fortress. However, the reality of a grueling 90-mile journey over harsh terrain, compounded by ill-equipped troops and logistical nightmares, led to a grim consensus. The Alamo was indefensible, a cause already lost. The march to relief was abandoned, and with it, the fate of the Alamo's defenders was sealed. Part 7. The Fall of the Alamo. A grim victory for Santa Ana. As the sun dipped below the horizon on March 5, 1836, the Alamo's defenders grimly watched the encroaching Mexican forces preparing to overcome their futile defenses. Faced with the inevitability of defeat, William Travis reportedly sent an emissary, a Tejano woman, to negotiate terms with Santa Ana. Travis hoped to save the lives of those within the Alamo if they surrendered. However, Santa Ana was resolute. The moment for parley had passed, and only an unconditional surrender would suffice. The key point to recognize is, the Battle of the Alamo was a decisive victory for Santa Ana's army. The tales of bravery and undying resolve among the Alamo's defenders, particularly those of Travis and Crockett, have become embedded in myth. Yet, the historical accounts suggest negotiations may have been sought, contradicting the narrative of unwavering resistance. On the early morning of March 6th, after a 13-day siege, approximately 1,800 Mexican troops advanced on the Alamo. An unexpected counter from the defenders initially thwarted the assailants as makeshift ladders collapsed, and calls in favor of Santa Ana turned his men into easy marks for the Texian sharpshooters. But the reprieve was short-lived. Travis fell early, struck down on the north wall, signaling the Alamo's imminent fall. Soon after, a fresh surge of Mexican forces breached the compound. A bloody, chaotic melee ensued, and desperate attempts to escape by some defenders were thwarted by the swift and deadly response of Mexican cavalry. Jim Bowie met his demise in his sickbed, and per historical accounts, Davy Crockett was captured only to be executed at Santa Ana's behest. Not every defender had fought until death, as legend suggested. When the dust settled, no Texian combatants remained. The survivors were non-combatants, the women, children, and the enslaved such as Joe, 
owned by Travis, along with Susanna Dickinson and her baby. These witnesses were set free by the Mexican forces, their subsequent testimonies constructing the initial narratives of the Alamo's fall. It was a hollow victory for Santa Ana, decisive, yet at great cost, and leading to an undying emblem of resistance in the hearts of those who remembered the Alamo. Part 8. Birthing the Legend. The Alamo's Tale Transforms in the Wake of Defeat. In the days that followed the fall of the Alamo, the harrowing accounts of survivors Joe and Susanna Dickinson reached Sam Houston. Their eyewitness stories echoed the grim news he had already begun to hear, casting a dark pall over the Texian efforts. The loss was more than a military defeat. It was a blow to morale that could undermine their resolve. Yet from the ashes of the Alamo, General Houston found the embers that would spark the spirit of his growing army. As he drilled and prepared his new recruits, he saw an opportunity, not to dwell on the defeat, but to reshape it into a rallying cry for his cause. The key insight is. The myth of the Alamo began not long after the battle ended. Houston imagined the Alamo as a second Thermopylae, echoing the ancient Spartans' valiant stand. This revised narrative made its way into the columns of the Telegraph and Texas Register, a newspaper known for shaping public opinion. According to this retelling, every defender at the Alamo fought to their very last breath, with remarkable feats of bravery embellishing the historical record. Travis was portrayed in his final moments as a warrior vanquishing a Mexican officer, while Crockett's body was found among a ring of his fallen enemies still clutching a knife. This version, though far from the grim reality, served to transform a military fiasco into a storied, heroic last stand that gripped the imagination of white America. Calls for retribution against Santa Ana and his forces filled the pages of newspapers across the land, further solidifying the Alamo's mythic status. The story became a source of inspiration and a cause for vengeance. On April 21, 1836, it was a cry of remember the Alamo that surged through Houston's forces as they took Santa Ana's camp by surprise at San Jacinto. The battle was brief yet brutal, and in its wake, the Texian soldiers unleashed their fury upon the Mexican encampment. The legend of defiant Alamo defenders had achieved its intended purpose, fueling the fires of retribution and revenge in a war that would forever change the region's history. Part 9. The Alamo Myth Meets Historical Scrutiny at Last The aftermath of the Battle of the Alamo, followed by Santa Ana's defeat, not only solidified Texas's path to statehood, but also ensured that the tale of the Alamo remained at the heart of Texas' identity. The story, romanticized and valorized, found its way into the rhetoric of leaders like President Lyndon B. Johnson and George W. Bush, embedding a narrative of defiant resistance into the American political lexicon. Yet, as the myth persisted, the substantial contributions of Tejanos, the Mexican Texans who fought valiantly at the Alamo beside figures like Bowie and Travis, gradually faded from the dominant narrative. In the subsequent years, this glorified story, tinged with racism, marginalized and maligned the broader Mexican community within historical accounts. The key revelation is, 
only recently has factual history caught up with the enduring myth. The repercussions of the Alamo's mythical retelling have long cast a shadow over Texas's Latino community. As they approach a demographic majority, the need for a truthful account of their ancestors' roles has become more pressing. The Texan education system, still carrying a torch for the Alamo legend, has often alienated Latino children, marking a sharp divide in their historical identity. However, a wind of change began blowing in the 1960s as historians and authors took a more critical stance on the Alamo's legacy. Walter Lord's A Time to Stand was a milestone, challenging the embellished accounts with a more grounded perspective. Such revisionist histories began to gain traction, especially in the 1990s with Jeff Long's Duel of Eagles. Long's work, bold in its deconstruction of Alamo heroes, ignited controversy and backlash, highlighting the deep-seated resistance to historical reinterpretation. Despite the threats and pushback, these revisionist efforts have continued, gradually reconstructing a more nuanced understanding of the Alamo within the broader tapestry of Texan and American history. It's a push for authenticity, an acknowledgement of complexity, and ultimately a quest for a past that reflects the truth of all who were entwined in the Alamo's fateful siege. Part 10. The Perpetual Struggle to Redefine the Legacy of the Alamo. In Texas, the Alamo is more than just a historic site. It's a symbol laden with narratives of heroism and sacrifice. Slowly, the monolithic myth that has long shaped the Alamo's tale is giving way to a version where all the heroes, including the often overlooked Tejanos, receive recognition. This shift comes from a growing recognition of the role slavery played in the Texas Revolution, an acknowledgement that challenges the traditional narrative of gallant rebellion. Despite the changes in storytelling, the Alamo remains a contested space where history and myth continue to clash. The key insight is, although a more accurate story is being told, the fight over the Alamo's meaning continues. Control of the Alamo's narrative has shifted over time. Until recently, the daughters of the Republic of Texas, descendants of the state's early settlers, acted as custodians of the site and staunch defenders of its heroic myth. Accusations of mismanagement eventually led to a revocation of their stewardship with the Texas government stepping in to oversee the site's future. At the forefront of the new vision for the Alamo is George P. Bush, who has sought to transform the location into a place that not only draws visitors from around the globe, but also presents a comprehensive and truthful recounting of its history. This aim for inclusivity and accuracy, however, has met with resistance. Some defenders of the old myth have gone so far as to bear arms to protect traditional monuments from alteration. Amidst this ongoing battle to reshape the Alamo's memory stands an unexpected figure, British musician Phil Collins. An avid collector of Alamo memorabilia, Collins's proposed donation to the site has sparked controversy. Questions linger over the authenticity of many items in his collection a challenge reminiscent of the scrutiny applied to the Alamo's legends themselves. As Texans grapple with how to honor a multifaceted past, the Alamo's future and its past remain in the balance. Each retelling, relic, and reinterpretation 
contributes to the evolving saga of this Texas icon, highlighting that the narrative is far from settled and suggesting that perhaps the most famous line associated with the Alamo, remember the Alamo, should now come with a footnote urging remembrance, but also re-examination. Final summary. For years, the legend of the Alamo as a last stand of heroism against tyranny has been ingrained in American culture. However, a closer examination of historical facts tells a markedly different story, one less about valiant sacrifice and more about the complexities of cultural conflict, economics, and slavery. The real roots of the Alamo's conflict stem from a period of great change, when Mexico's independence from Spain brought with it the outlawing of slavery. This new law clashed with the interests of Anglo-American settlers in Texas, whose livelihoods depended on cotton farming and slave labor. The frustration over these conflicting ideologies eventually led to heightened tensions and a revolt, culminating tragically at the Alamo. While the Mexican forces' victory at the Alamo was absolute, the Texian and Tejano defeat was soon recast as a noble struggle for freedom. This sanitized, mythic narrative served as a powerful tool to galvanize further resistance against Mexican rule, ultimately leading to Texan independence. In recent years, narratives challenging the grandiose tale have started to take hold, revealing a more nuanced account that also recognizes the contributions of the Tejanos who fought and the darker motivations related to slavery that underpinned the conflict. As the truth continues to unravel, so does the debate over the Alamo's legacy, an ongoing struggle to reconcile the myths of the past with the historical reality of events that have long shaped Texas's identity. Thank you for joining me today on this journey of learning and discovery as we explored the insights of another thought-provoking book in our growing library of knowledge. If you've enjoyed our time together, please take a moment to follow our podcast, give us a five-star rating, and share 20-minute books with other knowledge seekers. Your support truly means a lot. Don't forget to join me again in the next episode, where we will delve into another enriching book. Until then, happy reading and happy listening.